welcome, Sam. I'm glad to have you here, and I'm very curious to hear your story. And the first, what I want to start is that I saw your post on LinkedIn that when you were 14, you tried to learn C++, but you gave up. What went wrong and why did you start with the C++? Oh, man. So uh, first of all, yeah, thank you for, for having me on. Um, so C++ was a, it, it was really the first programming language that I ever tried to learn. Uh, I tried to learn it at a time just after, I think I was like 13 and I had like just built my first computer. And that was like a huge uh, sort of technical accomplishment for me. Uh, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to learn programming. I'm going to try to do something else with this computer because at the time I was just playing games and stuff. So I got a C++ sort of hands-on book and I went through it. And honestly, like it's, I feel like when you start to learn programming, you get a bunch of words thrown at you that like don't quite make sense. You're like, what's a variable? What's an integer? And this book, well, it was probably fine for most people maybe it was uh understanding what these different things were and i think the process that a lot of programming languages are taught in which is like very you know make it say hello world then try to make it do this and there isn't much under the hood explanation it's more just like a guidebook on you know how to make it do the thing but it doesn't explain why it does the thing i think that eventually broke it down to where i got to a point in the book where i couldn't I couldn't like make it do anything except other than what was what was in the book. And that was maybe a third of the way through the thing. I didn't get very far. Um, so I just sort of stopped. Like I none of it made sense. I had no idea what I was doing. So I I just gave up on it. And honestly, I've it's it's been hard to get back to. It's been hard to try to relearn. Even now, I've got a, I think, a fairly good base in computers and programming but that one i yeah yeah c++ is a, maybe a hard one to start out with too um python wasn't really a big thing back then so it was more just i went through the book and i couldn't understand what was happening with with what i was doing i, I think that's probably the main reason that i couldn't pick it up and continue did it change like the career that you wanted? Because if you if you learn C++, I think at, at the age of 14, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be a developer. I want to, especially if you have some, if you, you say like, like you had just constructed a computer, then you probably wanted to go like in this direction. And then you learned C++, like how did it change your career? So I think originally when I learned C++, the idea was that I wanted to be like a web developer because that was still kind of a relatively new thing. And C++ is not the language to learn if you want to, you know, develop web applications. <laughs> not really, <laughs> at least, you know, it's just, it's not the best option. Um, but honestly, back then, I, I don't think I was thinking I wanted a, a super technical career. I did like computers. But actually, one of my main goals back then was to, to become a chef. So I don't know if at that point it was setting me up for the career I have now, but it definitely did help, if I'm honest. And now that I look back on it, that is a very helpful thing 
that I did start trying to learn then, even though it's not the first thing that I ended up doing as a career. Now back to the Salesforce, right? You're working now as a Salesforce admin or Salesforce consultant. Um, mm-hmm. When was the first time when you saw Salesforce and how did you get in into the Salesforce? I saw a post on LinkedIn from, oh, I hope I remember the name right, David Liu. He's a mm-hmm. Salesforce. He he's all he also does development work, kind of like you do. He does um like a Apex for admin sort of thing. I think he works at Google. He's I he might be a golden hoodie winner as well. I'm pretty sure he is. But he just posted something. And at the time I was working in a sales job. And before that, I had sort of inadvertently, I think like a lot of people, I had become the like accidental Salesforce admin for a few companies I'd worked at, but I didn't really realize that was a whole sort of career path. But I looked at one of his posts and he was explaining his career projection from whatever he was doing before that into becoming an admin and then a developer. And I was like, oh, that, you know, seems like a cool thing. I was using Salesforce at the time. So once I saw that, I, I didn't know Trailhead was a thing yet. So I looked at Trailhead, I got more into that, and Trailhead was gamified at that point. So I I was just going for badges, and then I found out there were certifications, and I found out like all these cool companies use this product. So that really just got me into it. I really fell into it, and then I became the person on my sales team who people would come to for reporting and stuff like that. And I sort of sat around and waited at my job for a Salesforce opening to come. And actually, the first one that came, I didn't even apply for. Uh, I waited around for the second one. So by the time that second one came along, I was like already certified as an admin, even though I wasn't admining yet. Uh, I, I was like a ranger on Trailhead. I'd put in all this time and work. And I'd just been playing around in artwork. So by the time that job did come up, I was so ready for it. <laughs> like I knew everything about artwork. I was able to get in set up and like look at the, you know, the schemas and stuff like that. And then I already knew the business really well because I was working in the business on the sales side, which is what our Salesforce was uh, geared and tailored for. Why didn't you apply for the first one though? You know, I'm actually not totally sure. I think it maybe just like came and went too fast. Like it popped up on our, the company I was working for at the time on our jobs page. And then it was like gone the next day. So I was like, oh, I guess, guess I missed that one, which uh, could have been an interesting inflection point. Like I could have stopped right there and been like, oh, I guess, you know, another job's not coming up. But for whatever reason in my bones, I was, I sort of knew that, uh, a new one was going to pop up eventually, whether it was at my company or not. I really liked that company I worked for, so I wanted one to. Uh, I wanted one to pop up there, and also I, I think maybe a bit of an important note was I was like really happy in the job I was doing too. I wasn't like hating what I was doing and wanting to go to Salesforce. I was uh, in an account management role. And it was a great company. And I was like really happy with what I was doing anyway. I was leading a team of uh, anywhere from like five to 30 people. Uh, But still, I would, you know, just practice Salesforce and wait for that job to come up. So you went from 
leading the team to working as a basically admin without the leading position how how did it feel because isn't it like a jump backwards yeah actually and i think that's that's a good point to make is it is something that i wanted bad enough to where i was willing to take a step down i did actually take uh you know like a 10 to 20 grand pay cut mind you that didn't last long like in salesforce i think that's one of the cool things is you can progress on your pay scale relatively quick if you're good if you get certified if you uh you know don't mind taking some chances maybe leaving companies jumping for other things applying for things maybe you're not 100% ready for but going from leading that team to going to doing purely admin work and i was happy leading the team and i was happy doing sales um I don't know. I, you know, I've talked to people about this before and people have asked me, they're like, oh, isn't that so scary that you like left a job where you had stability to go do this thing you weren't sure about? And to me, it's, it wasn't, but I think it was that way because I, that's been my whole career. Like I started off as a chef. First of all, I did that for six or seven years, worked in very nice restaurants you know, but you're working 80 hours a week sort of thing. Uh, and then I just like stopped and then went to go work at a tech company as a, like their head of support, basically. So I, my, my career has been a lot of these just sort of taking, I wouldn't say ridiculous risks, but things that were nonlinear and didn't quite make sense, if that makes sense. This is super interesting because I think that the best jobs i ever had is where mm -hmm. i took a pay cut or mm -hmm. some kind of compromise of the payment because i wanted to do the thing because I, I i wanted to go into this direction and it's quite interesting to hear that 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 was your kind of career uh strategy as well but but what was like what was the thing that that made you want to go into salesforce administration versus leading the team yeah so i was big into when I was on that sales team, like making our work more efficient day to day, we were heavy into sales cloud, um, but there were just weird quirks in our Salesforce environment that didn't make sense. Like our page layouts, we were still in classic at the time. Our page layouts had like 400 fields on them. And I was like, why don't we just have a different, you know, page layout for the account management team versus the sales team versus these. And for some reason we were all on, one or two page layouts and it didn't quite work. That was a huge company. Um, so it was really seeing the inefficiencies of the thing and wanting to fix it that made me want to take that leap. And I, I also didn't know what I didn't know. So page layouts are one thing, but that's a very small part of Salesforce, uh, especially when you get into your workflows, flows, that whole thing. That's where you can really help build a lot of aid, uh, automation. Uh, also with things like Apex, obviously, that's uh, a huge way to build efficiently and streamline what it is you're doing. It's super interesting how, so, okay. So you're, you're kind of like switched from this leading the team because you, you knew what needs to be fixed in the Salesforce, right? And then you ba basically mm -hmm. went and, and fixed a lot of stuff on your own. Um, yeah. 
so how long did it take until you basically finished the, the first task from like where you heard about Salesforce to the point where you where you had your first task on the job? Um, you mean like so when I was learning Salesforce up until I got my Salesforce admin job and yeah, I until think the first you basically thing I did was a formula or something. Yes, until you basically made something that contributed to the um, to the production, something that contributed to the to the to the team in in Salesforce. Okay, yeah, that was about I'd say eight months of eight months. just learning. Um, but I would say before that, I knew I needed like some more sort of hands-on experience with going into an org and like configuring something, right? So what I did is I went to, th there's different websites where you can find charities to work with and uh, nonprofits, they get a free version of Salesforce, basically. Like it, it's a pretty stripped down version, but there's a lot of stuff you can do within it. So I found work with a nonprofit handling one of their uh, marketing systems. And as part of that, I kind of talked them into like, well, you guys are, you know, doing account management this way. Why don't you use Salesforce? Because they were in like spreadsheets at the time. And that actually gave me an opportunity to do an implementation of Salesforce uh, for a company before I actually was able to do it for my own company. So going into that interview for the Salesforce admin job, I could reference that as like a Salesforce implementation that I've worked on. The reason why I, I ask about it is because, so you mentioned eight months. It's it's quite cool mm -hmm. um, because I feel like in the ecosystem, a lot of people now have the totally different expectations. Like it takes a lot of time until you actually go from not knowing Salesforce to being able to do something meaningful, even if you know the business, right? Um, yeah. It took you eight months, and then how long did it take to you until you were really feeling com comfortable in what you're doing? Oh, that's a good question. Probably another, I'd say six or so months after that. I mean, I, I think I, at the same time, though, I had a lot of like false confidence at first. I was like, <laughs> oh, I got this. I remember my first formula field. They wanted me to uh, do something with like referencing the running user. So that's the the dollar sign user and then whatever field you're referencing. And I remember I used the wrong user version or something like that. Or maybe they wanted me to reference the account owner and then I used the running user as a thing. And immediately they're like, oh, this is almost right. But, you, you know, you forgot this little thing. But I was so sure I was like, I did it in like two minutes. And I was like, it's done. Here you go. <laughs> so I had some uh, some false confidence to start with. But after that, it was like, you know, six months, but at the same time, I was studying pretty diligently and I was going for more certifications. That first year, I think I knocked out like three of my certifications. So I think that that led a lot to that. And also I was working with uh, other clients as well. I wasn't charging a whole lot for these people, but I would like go in and, you know, they'd give me a little task to do. And I think Salesforce is a lot about getting exposed to different elements and also seeing different solutions. Like, you know, I might implement a formula field one way, but then I might go into an org where somebody better than me has done something and they have a great idea. 
or somebody who has no idea what they're doing has done something. And it turns out actually their idea is pretty great. It happened to me just the other day with one of my consulting clients and it helped me in my, uh, my main job. So I went into their org, I found a thing and I was like, oh, that's actually a good solution for the thing I'm working on. And the person who implemented that solution had next to no idea what they were doing. <laughs> like, so it's just funny. Like you, you get uh, a lot of ideas through exposure, I think. And I, I don't know if that's something you, you've had experience with as well, but that's been a big thing for me. Do you think it's the biggest, the best way to progress in Salesforce career with just working with other people? Because I feel like the best, the best things that I've learned were always from other people, not from, from internet or something like that's, that's where someone shows you some, some part of the system. And you're like, wow, you can do it that way. Yeah. So that exposure bit, I think is huge. And it's not even always somebody, at least for me, it's not always been somebody telling me like, here's how you do this or here's how I implemented this. Uh, I learn a lot better from like sort of trial and error and the pain of not doing something right. But going into someone else's org and seeing how they've implemented something, that's been so beneficial for me because it's just a different take on an idea. And a lot of the times it's not best practice what they've done, but it sparks an idea for you to go into your own org and, and fix something and build some efficiency or correct some issue you're having. And that's why I'm a really big proponent of while you're working like your main position, I think it's always a good idea to try to keep a consulting client or two because they have different problems, but in a lot of ways you're solving for similar things. So the more exposure you can get to different problems and different solutions to problems and examining how solutions have been implemented and a lot of the times, the way they're implemented is not good. I was in an org the other day and we had a custom lead object on it. Absolutely not needed. They weren't using tasks. They were rather than tasks, they would just log on the lead, like left voicemail. And then the next time they called, if they talked to the person, they would change that field to talk to. And that's an example of a not good implementation. So that is something visually, if anyone ever brings that up as a, uh, as like, Hey, maybe we do leads this way. I can go, look, I've seen it before. Here's the 35 reasons it doesn't work. You know, let's just stick to the logging calls as tasks sort of thing. Um, and then on the other side of it, I am working on a really big email sort of template rebranding type thing. Uh, and I was in an org the other day and this guy who had almost no idea how to set up Salesforce had set up a really nice way of doing signatures in emails. Uh, so I stole that idea from a consulting client and I used it in my, in my like day-to-day -day business. Um, so yeah, the, the exposure is huge. Uh, talking about the problems with other people is good. And like you said, going online to, you know, Stack Overflow or, Salesforce and looking at how other people have implemented stuff, it's good. It'll solve the problem a lot of times, but it, it, it's not always like a creative way to do it. It's it tends to be more straightforward. I've noticed. I think one of the one of the challenges that people face is that. So you mentioned that you volunteered for for some projects. 
I think it's a it's a it's a big hurdle for quite a lot of people to actually finding this consulting clients uh, or even volunteer projects. How like how how they do it? Uh, so I found a few websites that will let you do that. Uh, the one's called Taproot, I think. Taproot, they tend to already want you to have certifications and stuff like that. Um, and I don't remember the name of the other one. It was Tree something or other. Um, but what I did is I did have a skill set that wasn't Salesforce at that time. I was really good at sales, really good at account management. Uh, and I had, and I was also willing to do stuff that like nobody wanted to touch. So I found a startup that was using a marketing platform that they didn't like, and they were trying to move over to this other marketing platform. It's called Modic. Uh, if you ever try to find like a Modic consultant, at least at the time, you couldn't. Like nobody wants to deal with this thing. So I, with my technical background, I just raised my hand and I was like, you know, I'll I'll do Modic. But I was, I went in and I set the expectation. I was like, I'll do Modic, but like, you're going to have to do Salesforce. <laughs> so I didn't even get in directly with Salesforce. I got in based on, you know, a peripheral skill set that I had. So yeah, it is hard to find these people sometimes, even though you're doing the work for free. Like they still want somebody with some amount of experience and that's fine. But there are a lot of other ways in. If you're coming in from customer support, offer to do support, but at the same time, you know, go, I'll do support for you, but you need to let me shadow your admin. And that's a great way to do it. It doesn't need to be directly Salesforce. It can be something on the outside and then you can work into Salesforce. Transferable skills, basically, because I, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, they, they have all the transferable skills they need. Like you had a lot of skills to offer and now you adding on top of the Salesforce and that's that's a really cool combination then for to finding uh, first clients. Yeah, and also I think being willing to do uh, stuff people don't want to do. You know, even at work now, like I'm taking on this email rebranding. It's something like 2000 email templates and it's the HTML classic email templates as well that have to be gone through. And it's just such a big problem <laughs> like nobody else wanted to do it and i was just like yeah I'll, you know i'll try and it's given me a lot of opportunities to implement some efficiencies like uh getting signatures standardized across the across the company because that i went in and i counted i basically went through like a thousand of the email templates and i found 56 variations in our signatures so that's an opportunity to standardize there. And then also uh, I got to write some Apex scripts. They're not triggers or anything. I just execute them in the anonymous window and they do updates to the to the email. And I'm learning Apex right now. So this is a great like hands-on application and I'm doing it in a sandbox. So inevitably once I mess that up, you know, I don't blow up the whole sandbox, but it's also a good opportunity for me to learn that way as well. There's a lot of opportunity in doing stuff that, people don't really want to touch, I think. How is it going with learning Apex? Um, so to reference that post earlier about C++, uh, full transparency, I gave up on that again. Like I went in to learn it and I, I, I just couldn't like get through a lot of it. But 
uh, again, doing things people don't really want to do and like trying to relearn hard things. Uh, I got a lot into learning like the object oriented side, side of it. So a lot into classes, static classes, uh, different variable types. And actually that translated incredibly well into learning Apex. And I can do, you know, basic stuff with Apex. Uh, I found a really great tool I like. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called the uh, apexsandbox.io. And yeah, sure. I've done, yeah, I've done like almost all of their challenges going through that. And it's been actually wonderful. Like my Apex is pretty good, but now I'm at a point where like I've kind of learned what I can from the internet. I think the next task I have in Apex IO is like build a linked list. Uh, so I'm kind of stuck there at the moment, but in general, it's it's going a lot better. But a lot of that is thanks to me trying to relearn this programming language that's beaten me down now like eight times. Uh, but now I've like actually got my hands sort of around Apex a little bit better because of that. Does it feel different Apex and administration? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think in Apex, you're dealing with a lot of, it's all automation. Like you're trying to take data, transform the data, and then reinsert the data. Uh, I haven't gotten much into APIs and other parts of it. So a lot of it is, yeah, just like you're, you're taking data, you're doing something to it, you're, you're giving the data back. Um, so for me, it's, it's totally different. I'm not really worried about, you know, permission sets or what the page layout looks like or how the flow works. Well, maybe I am concerned about how the flow works, but yeah, I think it's a very different sort of animal. And I don't know if that's, uh, has that been your experience as well? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think that there is such a big difference between, um, Apex or Salesforce development in general and uh, administration or consulting or uh, everything that you have kind of kind of click based on Salesforce. And the biggest difference is because Salesforce development is quite similar to all the other fields of development. And we have it's much more closer to the software engineering part than to Salesforce kind of even though it's still a lot of wired around Salesforce, but uh, you can be you can be Salesforce developer without really understanding a lot of Salesforce. And in fact, that that was my case. So I I was from the Java background, and I first I knew Java, and then I switched into Salesforce. And for the first year, I guess I had no idea about how to change a page layout or something but I still was working as a developer. And that shows you how like, how the huge the difference is between Salesforce administration and Salesforce development. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point as well, is um, for somebody who's like first getting into Salesforce, you don't realize how big of an ecosystem this is. Like when I first got in, I was like, man, I there's you know 30 certifications at the time. I was like, I wonder what it'd be like to just get them all. Because there are people that have them, but that is so much stuff to just sort of know about. And right now, I'm still realizing how big the ecosystem is because I've specialized in sales cloud for like the last six years. And there's still stuff I'm figuring about sales cloud. 
Like there's still stuff I don't really know about between the different editions of Salesforce. And that's the, I think that's a really important point to highlight is how big this ecosystem is. Like you probably made a fairly decent career out of being a developer and not understanding page layout super well. Is that sort of like been your experience as well as you, it's really big to start with, but then you sort of found your way? Totally. Like I, for example, there, there's so many, there's there's even so many clouds, right? There's so many clouds that you don't even touch. I, I had, for example, I think four months ago or something, I had a manufacturing cloud project. That's a totally different cloud that that is so different in what it does and how it works from sales and service cloud that is it's just it's just so far away <laughs> and then the salesforce with the with the three updates per year they always shipping stuff and if you had to do the to-do list of what you need to learn as a salesforce developer as a salesforce admin it's going to be never ending to-do list right it's like they have a data cloud they have einstein uh, they have ai now it's just never ending. And I think that one of the keys of, of good career is to finding what you specialize in, especially in the first um, in the first years, because mm -hmm. kind of no one want to hire people who, who know everything a little bit. People rather want to hire a really, really good developer. And if you're a really good developer, yes, maybe you're not that good in administration, but they the company can make it up with... Uh, hiring a really good admin and then you have an awesome team where you have experienced admin and experienced developer versus where you have two people that know everything a little bit yeah i think that's a great point yeah so what's your plan with the with with apex are you are you applying it on the job because i think you're you're i i really like your strategy because you take something and then you try to apply it on the job and and i think this is one of the winning strategies yeah so i'm trying to apply it uh Sort of when and where I can. A lot of my day-to-day -day is handling, uh, well, you know, like user errors, new enhancements, mostly built after the UI. Um, but where and when I can, and I'm mostly using it, I, like I'm not really writing triggers or anything like that. We've got a great development team who does a lot of that stuff. I haven't really found a use case for me to write a trigger yet, but I am using it more in like a scripting capacity to do things like bulk updates of you know, email templates, because email templates in particular, they've got a lot of quirks to them. If you try to export email templates to like through data loader, uh, you can't like, because a CSV file is separated by commas or semicolons and HTML is just full of commas and semicolons. So it doesn't know like where to break your cell at. So that's like that's like a really specific use case of when you could use Apex. So you can update the HTML value field uh, with Apex. You can do like a replace or a replace all using regex. And then regex is a whole you know nightmare with HTML because there's so many weird characters in there. But it's actually been a very helpful thing. I can go find a phone number and replace it. I can find a link and replace it. I can find an image and replace it. So I use it uh, where and when I can. I don't actually think my goal is to be a developer because to circle back to what you were saying about uh, how much, how many clouds there are, like manufacturing, service, sales, health, you've got all these clouds. I've got four certifications right now. I don't even know if I want a fifth certification because there is so much stuff in sales cloud I still don't know about. And that's been where I've specialized. A lot of my consulting clients are on sales cloud. They're like smaller startups. 
and they need specific things done. And I don't, I can't always solution for those perfectly because I don't understand sales cloud as well as I could, because I think in the past I've tried to scatter or in sales service, field service, lightning, CPQ, all these different things, which is fine. But, and I think this is a good point to highlight is when people get into this ecosystem, they feel like they need 10 certifications to matter, but really the certifications don't matter that much. If you can get, you know, two or three in your course of learning stuff. And I think it's okay to just get them early on. Uh, it's really the experience of implementing solutions that counts a lot more than than having certifications, which I think sort of goes without saying, but a lot of people fall into the trap of, I need a ton of certifications to be relevant when it's not the case. I, I've never had a consulting client really ask me about my certifications. They're more curious about how I can solve their problem, right? They've got a sales issue. I talk to them about how they can fix it. I speak, you know, with some authority on the subject because I've done it so much, but me doing it so much doesn't really tie back to my, me having so many certifications, you know? I agree so much with you. I, the best developers I've seen, they had zero certifications for some reason. <laughs> and, and that's not the rule. It's not like if you have zero certification, you are the good developer. Uh, yeah. But it's just, it just, there's this, this thing about certifications. It's so glorified on the, uh, on the internet, but actually they don't, don't matter that much. Um, much more matters what skills do you bring do, do you bring the skills to solve the issues for the business can you can you bring some value to the business if yes everything else doesn't matter so if you have the skills no matter how many followers you have no matter like how many certifications you have you will find the job right yeah exactly and if you can if you've implemented solutions even if they've not been high stakes you know, the fact that I've worked for that nonprofit and I implemented Salesforce, uh, I'm, I'm not in the heads of the people who interviewed me for my first Salesforce job, but I have to imagine that factored in a little bit because I had done, you know, an integration between Modic and Salesforce for that job. And it was probably a terrible integration. I probably could have done it way better. But the fact that I had done it and I could speak about it a little bit, I think that went a lot further than me having an admin certification at the time. Not only did it show that I can figure things out, but it showed like I'm willing to go out and test different things. Because a lot of companies, they just, if they're going to hire you to be an admin, they have a specific problem, which is our sales cloud isn't doing this or our service cloud is messing this weird thing up. Um, and that's what they want solved. They don't, they don't care that you have a certification most of the time. I'm pretty sure I could just lie on my resume and say I've got 85 certifications, even though there's only like 30 available and no one would even ask me. They'd be more <laughs> curious about, you know, what I had done in the past and their specific problems. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was surprised because the same was for, uh, for my college, uh, for my uh, university. Like when I was studying mm -hmm. at the university, I was like, oh, I'm studying computer science. 
now when I'm gonna be on the market, everyone's gonna ask me for my degree. And then and then I I I finished I finished uh, university and no one like literally no one asked me about where I, even the university <laughs> I went to. <laughs> yeah, I think computer science is a great degree to get too. But if you want to talk about a useless degree in the tech world, I have a culinary arts degree. Like, <laughs> it's almost, yeah, I, I don't even mention it anymore because people are like, why do you have that? I'm like, well, I was a chef for a while. And they go, why? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm just here to talk to you about Salesforce. <laughs> let's let's move past it. Like, it, my degree is almost more of a burden for me at this point than it is helpful in any way. Like, a, it's a fun fact later down the road that I can cook really well, but it's not like... <laughs> I don't think it's ever once landed me a job or even got me an interview. It's probably gotten me, you know, thrown out a lot of times. <laughs> well, but that's that's a good skill to bring once you're in the company and uh, you organize uh, a party or something. Oh, yeah. If there's ever like a cook off, I'm I'm the go to guy. If we ever have an <laughs> onion chopping contest. I'm going to win. Like you don't stand a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I saw another your LinkedIn post. I really liked what you what you write on LinkedIn. So you wrote, I don't you wrote that something like this. I don't know, but I can figure it out. So oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. This, can you can you can you talk about this? Like those type of things that that you didn't expect when you when you kind of started in, in, in Salesforce and then you learned along the way yeah so i think that post so the post was uh you were pretty close it's something like uh i don't know but i can figure it out is uh an acceptable answer to almost everything so especially when you're new in salesforce you feel like you know you need the 30 certifications you feel like you have to know everything but in actuality it's totally fine when you're talking to someone if you don't know and i i still do this all the time i think everyone should do it because you can tell when somebody doesn't know something and they're trying to pretend they know the thing like it's when you get on a call with someone and they spend 30 minutes talking and you realize by the yeah, by like minute 10 that they haven't said anything yet like those are the people that people don't like working with they're never gonna i'm the last person that did that to me is somebody I am never going to ask any question to again, because I don't want to waste 30 minutes hearing somebody talk about nothing. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's really valuable to just go, look, I don't know, but I'll, I'll figure it out. And then I'll get back to you in two days or a day or whatever with my answer. And that's, I think, a lot of the what the Salesforce spirit is and also more of what it should be is. Uh, it's okay to not know for one, but then also we've got so many good resources. You can ask somebody, you can go look online and a lot of it comes back to just your willingness to do it, which I think is kind of what you're getting at here is, uh, you do have to be willing to not know something before you can know it. Right. Like when I was cooking, I didn't know anything about cooking. I was terrible. I, I literally didn't use salt in my life. And then I got to culinary school and I went like, I don't really know anything about cooking. And they go, well, here's salt. Here's how you use it. Then I started using salt. And salt is the greatest thing ever when it comes to food. Turns out it's super important if you want to make food taste like anything. I didn't know that. <laughs> but I feel like everyone knows that, you know? So I think that's maybe a good theme to think with as you go through your career is like, I don't know things and that's okay. And 
there is something kind of refreshing about somebody telling, like looking you right in your eyes and going like, I have no idea, but I'll figure it out, <laughs> you know? Cause I don't think it happens that much, especially in big corporate America. I have maybe one time seen somebody else go, yeah, I don't know, but you know, I'll get back to you in a few days with an answer. It just doesn't happen. And when you say that to somebody, they really trust you implicitly after that. Because you've just done something that seems hard, but is so easy to just go, I don't know. And it's also really uncommon, which I think is important if you want to stand out in your career. You know, it's it's totally fine. I've been on job interviews and I go, yeah, I don't know. Like, I would just look that up. You know, I'm I'm sure this is a bigger thing in development where they make you do a crazy thing. Like, oh, how would you reverse structure this? Uh, this tree, and then you're like, oh, here's this really complex thing that I worked out on leak code. See, I don't know if I'd be good on a developer interview because I'd go, I don't know, I would just look that up. But they, is that something you run into much as a as an admin? Do they have you do weird coding tests like that? So it's it's interesting because we don't. I'm not sure if it's the difference of Europe versus US. Because mm -hmm. we don't, so I'm, 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 in, I'm living in Germany, and we do. I also do interviews sometimes for, uh, for development roles. We don't ask anything outside of Salesforce, uh, so we don't have this culture of asking algorithms, for example. Um, but coming back to your admitting that you don't know something, uh, it took me so long to learn. Like exactly this thing where I can say, where I can go to the meeting and say, I have no idea. Like mm -hmm. it sounds so easy to do, right? You just like admit, just just being honest and admitting some, that you don't know something. But it is so hard to learn. Did, did you have to learn it or or was it just natural? natural for, because I had to learn it. It was, it was explicit feedback from a senior developer to me that you have to admit when you don't know something. Just admit that you don't know, and it's gonna be better than you trying to figure it out on the fly. So I had to learn yeah. it after I I got terrible feedback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's really nice, actually, uh, feedback to get from somebody because I don't think that's a very common thing to see or say. Um, so for me, learning that, I came from the culinary world, right, and that really shaped me in in certain ways, and even ways like I'm still realizing. Like, you know, I, I should probably go see a therapist about it or something. But one of the things that really stuck out to me is um, when I was younger and I was cooking, I, I watched this documentary once with Gordon Ramsay. And everyone knows who Gordon Ramsay is, super famous chef. Um, and he said this thing, which was, he's like, I don't care about the good feedback that I get from customers. Like, I could care less. He's like, tell me how I can make it slightly better or tell me how it's wrong. And that always stuck with me as like, okay, I'm trying to look for the ways I can improve not only my food, but like my day-to-day -day work. So even now, if I present an idea in a meeting and I think it's really good and somebody comes in, they're like, well, have you thought about it this way? If it's 0.01% better than my idea, I'll go, yeah, let's just do that. Like it's a it's a humility thing that I think came from being a cook. Like I'm always expecting uh, terrible news so I can use that terrible news to improve what it is I'm doing. So for me, it wasn't a big leap 
to go from that into um, like just saying, I don't know, because me saying, I don't know, if we're all presenting ideas and I go, I don't know. And someone else goes, well, why don't we do it this way? I'm like, oh yeah, let's just do that idea. That's better than my, if my, I don't know, get us, gets us 0% of the way there. And that guy's idea gets us 50% of the way there. It doesn't matter. It's like the same outcome at the end of the day. Like, and it also, another important thing I think to understand is if you're in a meeting and someone asks you a question and you go, I don't know, there is what, like it, 100% chance that the person asking you it also doesn't know, like, what are they going to say? <laughs> like, you should know that. And you go, well, maybe you should know that. And then where are you? <laughs> yeah, you, you just mentioned that being a chef influenced your career in, in what way? So there's a really a long workout just being a chef, obviously. Uh, it's really fun work. It's not particularly hard. I know that's a big thing for people that cook to go, oh, it's really tough and long hours. It is long hours. Um, it is not that tough though. A lot of the times it's physically like working in a hot kitchen can take it out of you. So the long hours was a big part of it, but then also just like being very open to feedback. And in a kitchen, uh, feedback doesn't come nicely through like your manager having a one-on-one -on -one with you saying like, oh, I think you, uh, you know, you could have handled that plate a little bit better. A lot of the time it's like a chef who's screaming at you while you're already like on the brink of crying because you, <laughs> you messed something up and you've got 30 orders in front of you. And like, it just kind of creates a, a thick skin because of that. But then also if somebody then comes and gives you like nice feedback, you're a lot more open it, open to it. Um, and then yeah, just always kind of looking for where you can improve. That's a really big thing as a cook. Like, how can I, you know, cut this a little bit better? How can I store my things cleaner? How can I be more efficient in my setup and breakdown process? Because really you've got your one goal, which is get good food out the door. Um, and everything you do is around that. There was this, uh, it's in one of these books, these culinary books. I think it's called like Letters to a Young Chef or something like that. It's probably not that, but it's something like that. And he says, like, do everything you can. Spend one minute now to save a second later. What he's saying is if you spend one minute before, uh, we call it service. It's like when you, you know, serve the food to the customers and stuff like that. Uh, cooks show up, you know, seven hours before that sometimes to get ready for the day. He's like, if you can spend one minute now to save one second later, that's an absolute win. So... I think that sort of mentality of thinking about what I can do now for something later on to go better. And that gets into like, how do things scale, right? Uh, to go back to my example of the lead who had all the uh, like call logs directly on the lead in a dropdown list, as opposed to splitting them out on the tasks. That's a thing that doesn't scale, right? Like that might be easier than clicking new task and then creating a call, but it doesn't scale and it's going to waste so much time later because I'm going to have to look back at the sleeve and go, well, how many calls did I make? And it's like, well, I, best case scenario, you have field history turned on and you can see how many times that field was changed. And that's best case scenario. So that's building something that doesn't scale. You're not spending your minute now to save a second later.
reminds me i i just watched uh the movie about uh about uh restaurant it's called the bear it's uh, like this and oh, that yeah. was exact did you watch it yeah that was a fantastic show it's big here in the states too yeah is it i don't know how it is is it Germany. accurate is it accurate how they depict oh my the, God. the yeah. kitchen so they did a lot of stuff really right in that show like really nuanced stuff that you wouldn't notice unless you had worked in the kitchen things like uh like the guy storing stuff in his oven for some reason that was a little bit of a thing like yeah i think he was storing his jeans in his oven at his house that's like i don't know why but i've seen that in so many people's houses mostly because cooks don't make a lot of money and a lot of the times the stoves are gas stoves so they actually can't pay to turn them on <laughs> it's because it's like a 150 dollars startup fee and they don't really want to do it and they could just cook at work anyway uh and then other things like the plastic cups they drink out of they're called deli cups or quart containers uh and they're just really big cups that is like a a staple in kitchens it's like that's just what you drink your water out of because there's four thousand of those around all the time um also like you'll notice a lot of his weird little quirks about how he writes things down or how he labels things like that's also very real i think before he did that show he he must have spent some time in the kitchen like somebody who spent a lot of time in the kitchen uh helped put that all together but I didn't realize that was a, uh, is that like new in Germany now? Or is that, has that been out for a while? Um, I, I don't really know. I just, just, just stumbled upon it and started watching it. And I think it is one of the most stressful shows I ever watched. And it's kind of very weird stuff when you're, usually you're watching Netflix or I think it's on Disney or something. To mm -hmm. relax, but this show it's pure stress. <laughs> you were... <laughs> and I was watching, and I was like, "Oh, I'm glad I'm not working in in the kitchen or something. That I'm working this more relaxed type of work as a developer. You know, you you <laughs> they give you the task, and then you come back, but you don't have like no one screams in you. There's no hustle. You you're slowly coding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, it's choose your own adventure. Which which problems do you want? Like you deal with a lot of mental stress and load. And it's not bad stress. It's, you know, you're like, oh, I've got this weird problem and I don't understand how these lines of code work together. Uh, whereas that's, you know, just different set of stresses. That's more physical and being yelled at sort of stress. Yeah, I think, I think, What's strange about career as a, as an admin or as a developer, I think those are quite similar types of stress. This, it's not like it's not draining, right? It's not like it's easy, but it's, it's very different in how, how difficult it is. It's, 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 it's very different from other careers where you physically do something, right? It's more like, like a mental drain instead of phys physically doing something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're totally right. And I sometimes I'm surprised how like you you spend eight hours in meetings and uh, at the end you're you're so done that it's it surprised me because there's actually no kind of work that you've done, but you still kind of worked eight hours and you're you're super tired like if you worked 
if you worked in the kitchen for eight hours, probably. Yeah, yeah. Meetings are, I don't know what it is with meetings. I think we should all collectively agree to just do less of them. Um, for me, and this is, I always say this to people and they're like, no, that's not possible. I could never do that. As a general rule, I just don't take meetings. Like, and <laughs> I know that sounds insane to say. So let me clarify that a little bit. If somebody comes to me with a problem uh, and they're like, we should meet on this, my instant response is, let's just talk right now. Because there seems to be this thing when I set a time on my calendar for 30 minutes, uh, it, whatever problem we're solving takes 30 minutes. But if I go, let's just handle it right now, uh, it's a 10 minute Zoom call and it's fresh in their mind. They know exactly what they're trying to do. I, yeah, I might be in the middle of something, but if what I'm doing isn't urgent and this person's thing is more urgent than what I'm doing, I literally stop and just go with hop on a call right now. And then we do it, it takes 10 minutes. I've saved myself 20 minutes. I've saved them 20 minutes because I'm the same way. Uh, I get so drained by meetings. I work in big corporate now and we've got these big hour long meetings and it's like just people reading from slides. And by the end of it, I'm just like, First of all, we didn't really talk about anything. This could have absolutely been an email. Uh, and I'm just like tired now. Like I need to go take a break and get coffee or tea or whatever. So I'm I'm not a big fan of meeting. So I absolutely understanding what, what you're saying about it being a draining process. Yeah, and uh, they they also take up, like if I have a meeting somewhere during the day, it's I'm less focused in the morning than if I have completely day free. So if you, if as a, especially as a developer, you can you can have days where you you have just zero meetings, and mm -hmm. those are the best days. Versus when you have even one meeting at two p.m., you're somehow at least me I'm I'm focused on this meeting, and so I cannot really uh, go full problem solving mode. Yeah, that I think that's a really interesting uh, thing. And I think as we go forward in, you know, careers and companies and things like that, I think everyone realizes how useless a meeting can be and how it can just be an email and how it could just be like a five minute recording, you know, in some cases of somebody presenting a problem and then you present back sort of thing. Um, but yeah, and I'm I think maybe one of my least favorite meetings is the early morning meeting, like at 9 a.m. Because I feel like for me, at least, I'm the most productive right in the morning. And then a company is like, well, actually, stop all your productivity. We're going to talk about nothing for 30 minutes. And then you can get back to it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what? But I was doing so good. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. You're going to stop what you're doing because uh, we're going to talk now. And then exactly, I don't, yeah, I don't mind the later day meetings. I actually kind of prefer those. Because by like, you know, around when you're doing knowledge work, like I feel like we do, um, by like noon, one, two o'clock, I think productivity has definitely slowed down at some point. Like you're you kind of knocked out your bigger tasks for the day. Maybe you're thinking about your next thing, but you're kind of, you know, doing your admin, setting up your next day. I feel like my brain definitely starts to slow down around two o'clock. So that's when I prefer my meetings personally. I don't have any any more questions. Is there anything that we didn't talk about, but but you wanted to talk about? No, man. I think we got down some like decent rabbit holes. Um, yeah, I think this is one of those cases where uh, 
I don't know. I feel like I feel like we keep talking though. I feel like this has been a good conversation, <laughs> and we've got to bring up some weird stuff that uh, I don't get to bring up very often. So, so yeah, I, I appreciate that. 